When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is episode number 1110 with New York Times bestselling author, Dr. Shafali. Welcome to the School of Greatness. My name is Lewis Howes, former pro athlete turned lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you discover how to unlock your inner greatness. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let the class begin. Veronica Roth said, change like healing takes time. And Leonard Cohen said, there is a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. My guest today is Dr. Shafali, who received her doctorate in clinical psychology from Columbia University. She is an expert in family dynamics and personal development. Dr. Shafali's groundbreaking approach to mindful living and parenting has taken her books to the top of the New York Times bestseller list, featured on Oprah and so many other major platforms. Her blend of clinical psychology and Eastern mindfulness sets her apart as a leader in the field of mindfulness psychology. She's written a new book called A Radical Awakening, Turn Pain into power. Embrace your truth. Live free. And in this episode, we discuss how to awaken yourself and break free from your past, the difference between victim consciousness and victimhood, which was mind-blowing, why hitting rock bottom can be a good thing, how to get to the root of what's causing issues in your relationships, how to reevaluate the type of relationships you're in and the boundaries you're setting, and so much more. I'm such a big fan of Dr. Shafali. But before the episode starts, I want to give a quick trigger warning that we do discuss different forms of sexual abuse and healing from those experiences. But if you're inspired, please share this with someone that you think would be inspired as well. And a quick reminder, subscribe to the School of Greatness, as well as let us know the part you enjoy the most about this over on Apple Podcast in the review section over there. Okay, in just a moment, the one and only Dr. Shafali. Welcome back, everyone, to the School of Greatness. I'm very excited about our guest, Dr. Shafali, is in the house. Good to see you. Thank you're, you. You're like my spiritual sister. Yes. And every time, even though we've only spent a few times together, every time I'm around you, I just feel like I understand you, at least to a certain degree, and I understand the mission you're up to and the work you're up to, so I appreciate you Thank as you. a sisterly individual in my life. And you've got a new book called A Radical Awakening, Turn Power into Pain, Embrace Your Truth, and Live Free. It's all about how to break free of a lot of things that have been holding women back specifically in their lives. Marriage, relationships, sex, monogamy, even their last name. And I'm curious, why do you think so many women play the victim in their relationships in general? Whoa, okay. (laughs) Because you mentioned beforehand that women play a lot of victimhood in certain areas. Not everything, but certain areas. What, what does that look like in relationships? Well, let, let's just back up a little bit and, and understand that women have had a really raw deal. Of course. In this toxic patriarchy. Absolutely. Okay, I grew up, and I told you on my last interview with you, I was molested up the wazoo by yes. the time I was 11 and had to really learn how to protect myself, Mm -hmm. defend against predators (laughs) lurking behind every corner. 
So as a woman, it's been really difficult for me, and I know every sister out there has had to deal with the toxic patriarchy. Yes. We've been trained to be quiet, trained to muzzle our true self, trained to play small back of the line after everybody's served on the table, trained to allow violation of space and mind. So, yes. So we have to understand that if we want to awaken now, we have to first name the toxicity for what it is. So we have to name what's happened to us. Mm-hmm. But then the radical awakening, which is what my book is about, is own how we now do it to ourselves. Okay, so name the toxicity. Does that mean like naming, naming the, the abuse, the shame, the guilt, the insecurity, the fear? Yes, name the those objectification, things? the oppression that the culture has given us a really hard time and has really put us in a weak position Uh and call it, you know, so the women in the Me Too movement took a long time to come out because culture told them they have to be the good ones. They have to be quiet. Mm. Don't ruffle feathers. Don't rock the boat. Culture has subjugated us with these messages and we have bought into them. So the first step is to recognize the cultural BS and that we are living in a toxic matrix and we have to redefine everything we've been conditioned to believe. Like what? what like, which, like you which said, main things? The lies about beauty, mm-hmm. the lies about being youthful, the lies about wanting to be in a relationship where we believe we should be owned and possessed, the lies around motherhood, the lies around love. You know, I talk about all these lies in the book. Yeah. So one by one, I systematically deconstruct and debunk these lies that have actually enslaved us. So that's step number one, is to recognize you've been living in a cultural matrix that has lied to you. Mm -hmm. Step number two, when you radically awaken though, is when you take ownership for how you are part of that co-creation. Okay. So when you talk about victimhood, we are victims. However, being and living in victim consciousness is where we get stuck. So victim consciousness versus victimhood, what is that? Well, if I'm raped tomorrow, I'm a victim of rape. Yes. If the man I'm with, if I happen to be with a man and he physically abuses me, that is called physical abuse. We should not be afraid to muddy the waters. Abuse is abuse. To call what it is. Call it. I've been a victim. Don't hide from it. Don't not talk about it. Be silent. Speak up. Yeah. If if you've been a victim, speak up. Empower your children to say, I've been a victim. That's very different than living and being in victim consciousness. What does that mean? Victim consciousness is when you hold on to the perpetration Mm. and you now perpetrate yourself and you keep the power with the other person. So not forgiving. Not forgiving yourself or the situation or not saying it's okay what happened, but not allowing yourself to move on. Not healing and not moving on. Got it. Blaming the one who took your power away. And we don't realize when we blame the other we give them our power even more. Really? Right. We stay tethered to them. True empowerment is to take all power back, including blame. So how does, when something horrific happens to a woman, Yes. and they've got to go through a, pro- I mean, man or woman, and they've got to go through a process of healing. Some of these things might take a while to heal, though. Absolutely. It might take years, right? Decades. Decades. Yes. If something really tragic happens. In your childhood. Exactly. Yeah. So how does someone 
not shame themselves for for taking a longer time yes. to let go and yes. deal with the process that it takes for them the grieving process Absolutely. the pain process what right what is a timeline that we should be thinking of on how we could reclaim that right. that power well you know lewis all my work is on conscious parenting for mm. a reason because the pain and trauma inflicted by our parents or those early years takes a lifetime that's what <laughs> i do for a living is well, i help people yeah uncover how they're replaying the same patterns of the trauma bonds from childhood. This is our whole life is to recover from the trauma. What was the main trauma for you that you still work through? The the main trauma which and which I write about in the book was a pervading sense of unworthiness which came from growing up in a very patriarchal culture. You never felt unworthy. You never felt worthy. I never felt good enough. I was always looking for validation from really? the men in my life or my achievement or my title, my role. I'll be the best mother, I'll be the best wife. It was only in my mid 40s when my like kid two years ago? just two years yeah. just <laughs> um, when my kid really grew up that I began to look at myself it, because I'd finished checking off like half the list. Yeah, went to the great school, went got to the, 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 the doctorate, wrote the books, the New York Times, Oprah, kid all is, these things. Kid has grown up. Yeah. Now who am I? And I realized that I had been living a false self because the bedrock was unworthiness and I didn't even know it. Until recently. Until recently. Really? Until I had a huge epiphany, yes. Yeah. So who are you? <laughs> so now I'm evolving and that's why you, to your question there is no timeline. Uh-huh. It's a process. <laughs> you will be asleep till you wake up mm. and you often don't know you're asleep till you have some traumatic moment, till you have some epiphany. You know, so I was on this spiritual path growing and then one day I grew out of my marriage. And that's when that was my moment of trauma. And you were in the marriage. I was and fine. You, and you grew out. You're like, this is no longer for me. Yes. And then everything looked unfamiliar. And I was so identified with that marriage. I was so identified with that idea of family. But I was no longer that person who entered the marriage. And I had no intention of leaving for years, 25 years. So it was traumatic for me. Why? Not just because... It was an interpersonal dynamic, but because culture has put so much pressure on us women to be nice and don't make anyone upset and don't end the marriage, you know, don't work break through up, it. work, sacrifice. Well, isn't there a part of working through challenges and not, you know, it's like, okay, well, if there's a challenge, it doesn't mean you should end the relationship. No, it doesn't. You have, I took me another two years after my epiphany oh, to really To decide. work through it and figure it out, I yeah. stayed, I worked through it. You, you must... Because it's not the other person. It's mm. what's coming up for you. And what, until you right. heal those wounds, you'll carry the same baggage to the next relationship. What was the thing that came up for you? For me, it was that I was the epitome of the self-sacrificial good girl, and I was here to save other people. So after 25 years of playing this role, I burnt out. Mm. And I had evolved enough to understand my pattern that I am doing this because I'm so scared to be out of the relationship. I had become enmeshed really? and codependent in the relationship. So it was all me. The other person was just playing the role I put them to play. Right. You know, you make sure you're really XYZ so that I can feel the same way I felt all my life. You know, we recruit people so that we can play the same emotional role we've played in childhood. 
Until what? Until when? Until we do all this inner work to evolve. So when I did all this work and it kind of collided with the marriage, mm. now is the next confrontation of now what do you do? Right? I always say in my courses, you know, all your relationships may break up because now you're a new you. Now is another path of a dark tunnel. Now you have to go through no <laughs> no woman's land oh. as you redefine who you are, right? Now you're a whole new being. So you discard old re- relationships that don't work for you. You release with compassion those that are loving and kind, but you begin to redefine who you are. But people shouldn't be afraid of this. Mm. This is a natural process of evolution of the soul. We must evolve. Yes. But culture has told us to stay scared, to stay stagnant, keep appearances up keep your relationship for longevity not for growth mm. you know marriage follows a longevity model right oh, you're, you're only together. successful if you're together if you're for together decades forever <laughs> doesn't mind if you sleep in different parts of right. the house one is in the basement one's on the right, bedroom right. doesn't matter the goal is you stay to it's a longevity based model not a growth based model so i mm. too was ready to do this for the rest of my life you were married for how long? 20 I was with the same person for 25 years. Wow. I don't really believe in marriage so we can talk about that too gotcha. but but I I was with the same person. So for me it was it's not easy to just leave but I we both needed to grow. And once we can decide as a couple that this is not working for our growth we could release each other. Some do it more beautifully, some don't, <laughs> right? Yeah. But we don't wait for permission. We have to follow our own north star of growth and do what feels right for us after working through the process. So what's it look like to own how you are part of it so that you don't stay in victim yes. say victim consciousness? consciousness? Yes. What does that look like? So the most important spiritual lesson I try to pass on to all my clients and all women is you are definitely a victim of the patriarchy. We never forget that. but within the patriarchy you are now a victim of your own oppression victim consciousness is where you keep the consciousness of the oppressor but make it your own so now you objectify yourself so give me an example what's that look like for someone today oh my goodness across the board so if you just take our mental attitude the culture has told us to be quiet be kind be sweet be polite and don't be powerful or real so now if a man molests us and it's mm. a public space we that's why people in the me too movement had such a hard time coming out because the culture has told us so now we do it to ourselves don't say anything right. pretend it didn't occur deny it or oh, if our child you know how many clients women i have whose children are being abused but they turn the other cheek because they can't disrupt the family system so this is how we do it to our children wow. now we do it to ourselves Okay, take another aspect of our physical uh looks. You know, we look in the mirror and we see now all the the faults that we believe culture has told us we should not have. Mm-hmm. So we objectify ourselves. You know, no one is a greater uh invictor critic than, critic ourselves. than yeah. ourselves. And for women and beauty because we've been so objectified we do it to ourselves it's a daily onslaught so we've taken what <laughs> culture has done and we've made it our own so how do we how do we begin to recognize because i think for years i didn't even recognize that i had traumas of the past it's like i put them away sure. i 
didn't want to think about them. And I just focused on like accomplishing and achieving and being significant and being seen because I didn't feel seen as a kid. So how do we start to identify the traumas of the past so that we can actually start to heal them? Yep. So there's two pathways. One is voluntarily or involuntarily. Okay. So no, very few people do it voluntarily. You know, who's just like, what do I want to think hmm, about today? Let me let think me about my trauma. Let me improve my <laughs> life and let me undo my patterns, right? So I went on a spiritual quest when I was 21. Very unusual, right? I was so fascinated by self-work that yeah. I knew that was my path. So I entered it without trauma necessarily. So the involuntary way is how most people enter. Right. An event occurs that's traumatic yeah. and this doesn't work. I'm going to break down. They hit rock bottom. Yes. So you have to really hit rock bottom. Right. So what does that mean? And as a therapist, I want rock bottom for mm. my client. Yes. Why? That's the only way to go to the next step. Yes. Yes. If things are 80% good, that's yes. the worst place that's to be. That's the worst place. The worst 80 place 80%? is like I know. things are good right now. Right. They're okay. Right. That's the worst because you can't get You're out of complacent. that. Yeah. It's so hard to get out of that. Right. Unless it's you're, not amazing, but it's not terrible. I'd rather be everything falling apart because then at least I'm like, okay, uh, this keeps happening. I need to like figure out a new way to right. being. Right. So what you're saying by that is that when we say rock bottom, what is really hitting rock bottom is our ego, our yes. false self. Yes. All the ways we were pretending don't work anymore. What a beautiful <laughs> gift that is. That's why yeah. I call it the gift of the rock bottom. Because when you get to that place, most people freak out. But therapists are like, come to me, come to right, me. Right, right. Because this is your portal because you're finally without your defenses. The athlete doesn't work anymore. The comedian doesn't work yes. anymore. Charmer doesn't work anymore. Yeah. Pretty girl doesn't work. Nothing's working. How amazing. Now you get to go deep to figure out who you are without those roles or labels. And a lot of people try to cling on cling to them on. as long as they can. Yes, yes, yes. Because they're scary. so scared. Scary. Scary. So what about the voluntarily? It's it's hard to get there, right? Voluntarily, it's, it's, it's hard it's to be like somebody who let me improve myself today. Existential philosophers, you know, I was like that kind of kid. Like mm -hmm. I was always seeking. Mm -hmm. So I went for vipassana meditation when I was twenty-one wow. because I wanted to find out another meaning to this madness. I was like, I knew this was mad, and I was this can't be all of it. I needed to go on a discovery of yeah. myself. So I put myself in that position, but it's not typical. Yeah, yeah. You know why? Because we're in a rat race. Uh -huh. You know, we're on this conveyor belt, just chugging along, yes. checking off the prescription list. Our parents have brainwashed us. Culture has brainwashed us. We're so scared to get off the conveyor belt, you know. We're like, let me just stay on. Well, because we're going to upset our parents, our family, everybody, our peers, everybody. Our whatever. You know, everybody. The most daunting a practical thing that happened to me when I got married, when I was getting divorced, was how am I going to tell people, you know? And then I realized, is that my problem? Like other people? Mm. And I realized, yes, other people is our problem because we're so tethered to what other people think, mm. other people's opinions. And I realized I don't owe anybody any information mm. about my journey until it happens organically. So I really told people only when it happened organically. Wow. And uh, people got upset by that because they thought they were entitled. Mm -hmm. And I, I had to let them know, this is something very deep and personal. This is my life, not your life. Not your, yeah. You can't have an opinion about this. You know, right. like people are upset, they're crying. 
I'm like, you need to deal with your projections onto me mm-hmm. because the projections are enormous. Yeah, <laughs> you know? they are. They are for everything. If you're famous, people project onto you. If you you look a certain way, they project onto you. If you're broke, if you're rich, if you're yeah, everything. It's like constant. Once you realize that, oh, people are not even noticing you, they're just projecting, that's a huge turning point in the spiritual process. Mm-hmm. Oh, they're just projecting. So once the ego has hit rock bottom, how should we start to evaluate our traumas, our pains, so that we can move forward, so we can heal them and move forward. Oh, once the ego hits rock bottom, (laughs) it's the most amazing place to start. It's ground zero. When was the last time for you? Oh my God, two years ago. Really? Yeah. You hit rock bottom. Oh, I hit. But you were already awakened. I thought you were already conscious. You go through many. You were teaching people these things. You go through many. Levels. Yeah. So there's I so there'll be another level, level in ten years. It could be how Come lovely. On. Why do we gotta go through so much pain? One of my favorite parts about my job is that I get the opportunity to travel a lot. And in fact, I'm recording this right now while I'm in Mexico. And actually, I was thinking about something that I wanted to share because I get a lot of questions from so many people about different side hustle ideas. So here's one for those of you out there that are on the go a lot like I am or traveling a lot. When you're staying in your Airbnb on your trips, have you ever thought about how you could be making extra money by hosting through Airbnb while your home is vacant? If you're interested in an extra stream of income, Airbnb hosting is an easy place place to start and it's like giving your home some company while you're away. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation. No, it's not pain. It's unfolding. Okay. Yeah, it's so, <laughs> I, like I loved what I went through. I oh, honor okay. and cherish all the pain because I needed to break down. See, we look at pain in a very uh, absurd way in this mm. culture. We're so pain-phobic. As a therapist or as a healer or a seeker, pain to me is the most open place. Pain is openness. Mm-hmm. Isn't that what Rumi said? Like, light is where the wound enters or there something. What did he say? There you go. I don't remember. Something like that. Like, the light is, uh, is where the... Yeah. Well, we have, something, to, the, we have to edit this The wound this is where the light up. enters or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I think it's true. Once you go into the darkness, then that's where you can shine the light and start to reveal yes. things and peel back the onion. Yes. It's interesting. Uh... A few weeks ago, I had a, a big realization in my life, massive, that might have been groundbreaking for me because I'm 38. For th- probably 38 years, I have been conditioned to people please in every area of my life. Originally with family, then with friends, but most specifically in intimate relationships. Every intimate relationship, for some reason, I have allowed myself to let my boundaries be crossed to make someone happier. Or, or when there's frustration or disappointment with me, whether I do something or I don't do something, I give in to create peace. It's something that I realized I used to do as a kid 100%. with parents. And, and You were the mediator, the exactly, sweet boy. The, the one that yeah. tried to make things light and easy. And I stopped doing it over the years in friendships and family. But I wasn't able to, for whatever reason, until a few weeks ago, going through some some coaching and therapy and something awakened in me that I was just like, 
I've been afraid to upset people my entire yes. life. Yes. And every time I do something to make someone else happier, but then I disappoint myself, yes. I betray myself, and I'm out of integrity. Very good. And yes. I feel, and I always, uh, I feel a sense of like tenseness and tightness in the chest and the throat whenever that happens. And I resent myself when I don't resent them. I resent yes. myself because yes. I give in. Something happened, and you, maybe you understand this because of the work you do. Something happened where I had this tightness in my chest, and I was feeling this on and off for years. Not because of someone else doing something, because of me. And all of a sudden, it was like a ball of pain that went to all I can say is it like went together and it kind of like disintegrated. Mm. And I haven't felt that pain in my chest since that moment, mm. since that. I don't know if that was a, a, a layer peeling back mm -hmm. of awareness, but I felt like I was just like, I'm sick and tired of feeling this pain. Wow. And I think a lot of us have been feeling this low level or high level of frustration or pain 100%. or something inside and of we've us. We've suppressed it. We've suppressed it. Yes. And I was not willing to let it go until yes. recently. And it's the most freeing feeling. Yeah. Freeing. Yeah. And what you talk about in your book is like just yeah. being your truth. Yeah. Allowing yourself to feel free, which I feel like a lot of us Men and women, all humans, don't allow ourselves to feel free. Yeah, but you see, you couldn't have predicted that. I didn't know. You didn't even know it was coming. I didn't even know. That's why when you said, how many times am I going to go through this? It's a constant unpeeling. Watch when you become a dad, if you ever become a dad. <laughs> it's going to be you crazy, right? You haven't even right? begun unpeeling oh my the gosh. ego you and imagine? the trauma. What was the biggest awakening when you were in the first two years of being a mom? Oh, that what was it? What did the you have to birth of this whole conscious parenting. When I saw how unconscious my ego was to have significance through this infant, like I was what? like, "Look at me! Don't look at him! Look!" Really? I was like talking. You know, you you have a crazy talk that you become <laughs> aware of when you become a parent. What was your talk? Judgmental of my infant. Judgmental of your baby? Yes, yes. It's like yes. a one, two-year-old? Yes. That don't like make me feel so no, bad. I'm, okay? I'm trying to understand. I'm just saying that so, when you become a parent, you're like, you don't cry a, too much. Why are you? Yeah, like, oh my god, something wrong? wrong with the kid. Something's mm -hmm. wrong with the kid. Oh, the kid doesn't look like me. Looks like my mother-in-law. Oh, oh man. the kid is acting like this. Oh, kid is not Indian enough. Kid is the other person's culture. You know. This is in the mind. I'm not telling my kid. Right. You begin. Right, to, right. You're saying this to yourself. You begin yeah. to become aware. If you're aware, at your crazy talk. Wow. And you begin to get alarmed. So when I heard these inner voices of judgment and control uh, toward this being who I supposedly unconditionally loved, that's when I realized, oh, that is the voice of my ego, my fear, my control coming out, and I want to micromanage this being into a puppet. When I, when I was aware of that, and it was traumatic for me to see the shadow within me. Really? But that's what birthed my whole work in conscious parenting, when I saw my own unconsciousness. What's the thing you're most proud of and least proud of as a parent? I'm least proud of those moments where I'm unable to trust my child. You know? all I mean, it's probably I all know. parents don't yeah. trust their child, right? 100%. Because they make stupid mistakes. I used to do the dumbest things as a kid. Yeah. How, I mean, you, you hope that you can trust them, but it's like... But, but we have to understand that... They got to the make reason, their own mistakes too, I know, right? but the reason you are you is because of all those mistakes. A lot of mistakes. Right, but you can't pre pre prevent or, you know, preempt mistakes. What happens if you prevent them or, or suppress them too much you're from figuring it you're out? You're projecting utmost fear and terror into your child, your kid is going to stop living. So every time I put my fear by not trusting, 
I curtail her. Mm. Now, it doesn't mean I let her smoke marijuana at the age of seven. Right, and drinking back all night. <laughs> I trust you. Yeah, drink all you want and eat. Yeah. This is about how I can see when I project my own terror. Mm. So whenever I've done that, I have not been proud. And what am I the proudest of is that I've truly understood that it's all about me and I've done my work. Every time I see her react toward me in a way that upsets me, I know it's something within me. Mm-hmm. So I'm able to turn that mirror inward. And that's my one achievement in parenthood is I can look at my crazy now, you know? So much crazy. So when your child uh, screams at you or gets angry at you, or you in the past about something, were you able to just look at it from a different perspective and not allow your ego to be attached and say, no, you're wrong and be in the argument. Is that what you're saying? You can just kind of detach. Well, it's taken work. You know, I'm I'm (laughs) very old, many years ahead of you. Yeah, a lot of work to understand two things. One, the child is acting the way they are because of something in them, right? So they're not doing anything against you as a personal vendetta. Mm -hmm. It's not a personal attack. It's something inside them, right? We only act badly because we feel bad. Is this in relationships also, intimate relationships, that the other person yelling or screaming or getting angry or blaming, it's not about the other person, it's about them? Yes. When they're getting angry? Yes. So how should people who are in intimate relationships respond when the other person is yelling or blaming or getting angry at you? At first, you're going to respond in the typical way, which is fight back. Defensiveness, angry, you did it, no, I did it. But when you begin to see that this is the dance, at some point, somebody has to stop the pattern and go, oh, we have been here before. This game doesn't work. It's a dance. Somebody has to break the pattern. Somebody has to misstep, not show up in the room, turn away. And what happens when that happens? Then the other one has to fall, right? Because they they have to dance alone. Well, they try to... Grab onto grab more. Onto you, right? yeah. So it's a dance. But the most beautiful gift we can give our partners is to say, I see that you're hurting. I know you want to make it about me, but I can't play this game right now. Oh, man. You know, it's really hard. Oh, but that's it's, a, but, that's it's a, to, but you grow up. You, oh, you, you grow up yeah. and you don't be part of somebody else's drama and they have to grow up. What happens if the partner doesn't? grow up after, over time yeah, of working hard. through it. It's really hard. Then you come to a tough precipice of, okay, can I keep growing with this person or do we just stay here? It's, it's a lot of questions. Do I stay in the game yeah. or the dance with the person where they want to be? Yeah. Do I see No, we can't way? play the game anymore. So say Once the person aware, has decided, I can't do this game. Then what? I'm waiting for them to heal. Now it, you're saying, what if it takes, five, what if it takes years, 20 years? And right. it's, Incremental. Now you have to make a very tough choice. It's hard. And you know how hard it is for women and mothers to make those kind of choices? Very hard. With children, with all the pressure that culture has told them that you don't get to walk out, ever. Mm. Women have to be the glue. But if their partner isn't growing, what are they supposed to do? And that's why the way we live right now in these nuclear little pods is so unhealthy for our women because they can't get out of these relationships. What do you mean nuclear little pods? Like we're living nu- in nuclear families, right? We're not living on oh, a commune and, and a bigger community. bigger families, small, tribe. isolated families. Isolated. So if the male is abusive or toxic and is holding the money, what does this mother do? She's been conditioned to be quiet, to be submissive. Now she's given up the money. Now she now she's raising children. That's why women and mothers need other women. 
yeah. to support them in a toxic patriarchy that we're living in right now. Sure, sure. And and men can fulfill that job too of providing support. I'm just saying we our women are getting neglected, especially the mother. She wants to be a businesswoman. She wants to look skinny and amazing. She wants to. A lot she of pressure. Has a lot it? of pressure. The modern woman has, and she's nuclear. Are they putting it on themselves? Now we're they, putting it on us. Or are they allowing others to put it on them? It's both. It's both. It's, both. it's a semi-permeable yeah, membrane. Interesting. <laughs> so it goes in and out, you know. And we put it on our daughters. They see us. You got to look perfect. Crazy. You got to do this. You got to be. Yeah. 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 We are really driving ourselves to the end of our rope, we women, in the expectation to be perfect. So Men don't have it so much. Men have the expectation to be competent and achieving. Women have it with this internalized oppression to be perfect. That sounds exhausting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, men can't even really relate to how exhausting <laughs> it is to battle this conditioning. Right. You know, we get it from when we're like knee-high. I mean, men have their own conditioning, sure. which is, we've talked about this. From but you have an advantage because you're in the patriarchy. So the patriarchy mm. favors the man really, and favors the white man. It's a whiteified patriarchy. So whether we like it or not, the men are a little, a few inches ahead, you know? More of an advantage. Yeah. It's a, come on. So. We all have to deal with our emotional demons. Yes, yes. I don't care Right. What so there are two levels, right? Yeah. So there's culture. Yes. So in the culture, men have an advantage. Yes. The white man, especially. In the personal family, we're all messed up right. the same way. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Because and no that matter same how much patriarchy comes into the home. Right. But also, no matter how much money or success a man has, if they are uh, they have a demon inside, they still have to learn how to deal with Absolutely. that. Absolutely. So you could be a prisoner to these traumas or expectations yes. you might have. Yes. Yeah, it doesn't mean you don't have advantages sure. in life and could but be you're still de- you're just... dealing with the same demons. Exactly. In the home, that's why I do the work in conscious mm-hmm. parenting. In the home, we're all inheriting unconscious shame, mm-hmm. blame, unworthiness. All of us. Now, when the boy steps out, he is in, a, in an advantaged position. Mm-hmm. The girl is not in an advantaged position. So she's getting double whammied, you know. Yeah. So what can women do to not be, to not be double whammied? Or when they're getting double whammied, what should they be thinking and doing instead? Yeah, well, it's two levels. One is, like I said to you, you have to name it. You have yep. to be able to call the lies. Mm-hmm. Like we need to teach our daughters, this is a lie. This is a lie. And this is a lie. And we need to, as women, debunk and tear up this prescription list that we were raised with mm-hmm. to be this way and perfect and skinny and white and Whatever we were raised with, we need to change the prescription list and teach our daughters to call the lie. And then the second way is to give them a legacy of worth. But that can only come when they see us feeling feeling worthy. The mother is is the key. How do do mothers start to feel worthy again when they haven't for so long, potentially, or they've made everything else about everyone else except for themselves? Yeah. So, it, you know, and the movement is, is incipient, but it is growing yes. to allow women to have their voice. So I think there's several layers. One, one big level is that we sisters, we women, need to stop competing against each other mm-hmm. for the attention of, say, a man. Like, we need, to, we need to bond. We need to be with each other. Why, why does that happen so much? Do you notice that? Why, why do women do that? Do you see I mean, that? I think men do that as well for, right. for a woman, but right. why is that? What's the underlying, like, 
to feel unworthy, good enough, worthy yes. enough. We if want, he chooses me, yes, then I'm worthy yes. enough. But but we're giving into the patriarchy when we but do what, that. But what happens if we convince someone to choose us? What happens if we play the game or whatever, compete against someone else, and convince a man to choose? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm acting like yeah, I'm a yeah. woman here, but I'm yeah, convincing yeah. a man to choose them, mm-hmm. as opposed to them seeing you who for you are. Yes. And choosing you because they for your diff- energy, right. not because of your playing game. That's what I mean. We play right into the patriarchy right. that we then say oppresses us, right? Uh, so we're trying to out beauty each other, for example. You it's know? exhausting. And it's we're we're just enslaving each other in the same you know clutches, <laughs> mm-hmm. and we don't realize we're doing it to each other. You know, we should all go, you know, with our saggy faces and saggy <laughs> bottoms out into the world and not give a damn. And in that way, we sisters support each other and we teach men, this is how we really look and deal with it, right? But we can't because she's got the Botox and she's got the really Mm -hmm. big, nice, curvy ass and I look too ordinary. So now I'm feeling unworthy. So at the bottom of it all is unworthiness. But we need to stop competing with each other. We need to celebrate each other. We need to stop putting on the false roles when we're with each other. And let me tell you, women... A constant really when you're together when women are together in general you're there's false roles happening a lot of false roles there's, Unless, fake, there's fake support of course really of course Gosh, why because we are unworthy we feel we feel like we have to compete with the other so you made 12 cookies okay I made, 20 mm, I made 37 <laughs> <laughs> in these very subtle ways you know we're always trying to outmother the other really Yes. What do you think all these Facebook posts are about? Look at my kid eating spinach and look at my kid is the star of the baseball team or posting where your kid goes to college. And I know I'm saying things that people are not going to like, but I want people to examine when they post, why are we posting our life? Because we want to give an impression that we have a better life. Right? Why don't what if you it was post? just like, I'm proud of my child and I'm proud sure, of this? Sure, there's an element of just, if, but even pride, it's like, does mm. the whole world need to know how proud you are? Mm. Isn't grandma enough? Grandma used to be enough, but now the whole world needs to know? You know what I mean. It's coming. I heard you say it, yeah. The, the social media madness feeds the insecurity. So that's mm. one thing. Because you get do. acknowledged by, oh, what a good mother or but father. But you also or... get more dependent on it. Now you're checking to see how many people liked your post, liked your new hairstyle. So this is how we continue the oppression. Right. Okay? We feed into it. So yes. we, we need the to own we how we're a part of it. Yes. And the second way and the ultimate way to liberate ourselves is what you and I have been talking about is looking at our childhood trauma and mm-hmm. how it has clutched us in unworthiness and the roles we've played because of it. So in my book, I talk about the three main roles that women play. What are those? The givers, the controllers, and the takers. So the givers are... You, you would fall in the giver, the people pleaser, <laughs> yeah. the savior, the victim, the martyr, Man, the empath, that's right? Me, that's me. Then me. you have the controller, who's the overachiever, the perfectionist, well, that's you do, that right? Too, yeah. <laughs> the tyrant or the unemotional shield. Uh-huh. And then the takers are those who are like divas and princesses and complainers. You know, they're just expecting life to change they're, on its own. They ex- okay, yeah, they have expectations. And now we are some of all. But when we notice, that, wow, I'm that, and I'm that, and I'm that, and how did it come to be? So I talk about that in my book. So every woman can see her patterns and go, wow, that came because I was traumatized in this way. 
Mm-hmm. Now you begin connecting the pieces. Right. And the, the, the biggest liberation will not come when our patriarchy becomes a matriarchy. The biggest liberation will come when us women heal our unworthiness. I think it goes both ways. When men heal as well, yes. so they don't keep hurting people. Yes. Or So when we heal, we will raise our sons and daughters mm-hmm. to be whole and healthy. Absolutely. And of course, there's a lot of focus on the men. But I'm just mm-hmm. letting women know, right. don't wait. Do your work. Right. Yeah. Right. Don't wait for the man to change. Exactly. Or the patriarchy to change. Right. We have a lot of work to do. So if someone is a, a giver, they give to everyone, they people please, they're always thinking about others first. What do they need to recognize and what action steps could they take to start the process of moving forward? Yeah, yeah. So the first step, and I did this to myself, is I gave myself a seven-day experiment that I wouldn't speak until I was authentic, okay? Mm. So if any time I was doing it to people, please, or avoid a conflict or because I was getting nervous or that's, anxious. That's been me my whole life. Don't talk. Yeah, don't talk. I didn't talk practically the whole week because that's... everything out of my mouth was to people please or to take care of somebody else's feelings mm. or to to not say what I wanted because I was afraid of conflict. Mm-hmm. So I became aware. The first step is always awareness, yes. whether we like it or not. And that's arduous and painful. We have to look in the mirror. Then the second step, after you become aware, you have to ask yourself, what is that moment before I jump in? Like, what's happening in my body? Gosh. Like you said, that pain. That's when you feel that tension or the tightness or the clenching or whatever. What is that telling you? Yes. What is that telling you when you feel like, I don't want to say this or I don't want to do this, yes. but I feel like I have to because yes. whatever. So let me tell you, that pain is coming from old inner child pain. That's why it has been sitting inside you. Man. You suddenly become a five-year-old boy terrified of pissing the coach off or pissing dad off or pissing the teacher off. That's what is in you. Gosh. So you have to get in touch with that and go, oh my goodness, I felt this all my life. It's from my inner child, the mm-hmm. neglected little boy or girl. Now what do we do? Now step three, very hard. And hopefully people should recruit a coach or a therapist mm-hmm. by now because you need help. Now you have to heal those needs of the inner child versus jump to do the role. So you see, the pattern is that every time you felt that pain, you just jumped and did the role. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation. You took care of the pain by suppressing the pain, and you took on the role. What happens if we suppress the pain long enough? You'll be, it won't go away. You'll become ill. Mm. You will have dysfunctional relationship after dysfunctional relationship. You'll become addictive. You cannot suppress pain. You'll explode. You'll do something. Pain, you you cannot suppress. It will find its outlet somehow. This is, this is why I feel like a lot of the men who are the angry men who are causing harm, physical harm, yes. emotional harm in the world. Have now that emotional I've, suppression. Now that I've yes. been through a lot of it myself and still growing and working through it, I can see it for what it is. 
and know that, okay, they haven't healed something. This yes. is why they're so angry, defensive, yes. needing to win at all costs, yes. whether it be politically, business, relationships, intimacy, all the domestic violence. There's a pain there that hasn't been healed. Yes. A lot of men are unwilling to look at the pain. Sure. Or they've been shamed for their pain or whatever mm -hmm. it is as well, just like women. Mm -hmm. A lot of us in general. So how, once we feel the pain and we have this awareness, how do we actually start the process of healing? What does healing look like from the seven, six, eight-year-old who's dealing with this still? Right. So now you re recognize it's a pain I've carried all my life. I see now the pattern. Now I have to reparent myself. So I talk about reparenting a lot mm -hmm. in the book. Taking our sovereignty back means taking our healing in our own hands. And I talk about how we can become the inner mother that we never had or the inner father that we never had. And you have to do a lot of inner dialogue to stop yourself from playing that role, right? You had to stop yourself from being the pleaser. Then you felt the inner child. Now you had a breakthrough. Yes. Yeah. It's a, it's a breakthrough it's, moment. It's this was literally like, it was one of the, it felt like magic. I'm, yeah. not, I'm not lying. This yeah. is so recent for me. Yeah. It's so like, yeah. I felt, it felt like a ball of pain that disintegrated and it literally shrunk. It was taking my whole chest and it shrunk and then it just like disappeared. And I was yeah. like, wait a minute, what just, it was the weirdest thing. You know, I've had experiences where, and I tell people, you know, the pain came out of my hip and it shrunk. Really? Because we store pain in, in, in our minds in different ways and places. Somebody stores it here. Somebody, so you you have an experience. We don't know whether it's real or not. It doesn't matter. It feels like that, and you can't explain it to it's anybody. It's so weird. It means that your the way I look at it is that the the power of your awareness disintegrated, burnt through the the ball of pain. That's insane. But awareness is our greatest spiritual sword, and we need to use it. We're so scared to look in the mirror. It's, it's scary. all clear. But you see, when we come from unworthiness, we're in denial. Huh. Because we're in need. If we're in need for love and worth, and we're constantly saying, do you see me? Do you love me? Do you know me? Do you validate me? Do I have permission to exist? Then that is the fuel for all our behavior. So we can't see. We're hungry. Mm. When you're hungry, you know how cranky you are. Mm -hmm. You can't really think straight. Your brain is fogged up. Our brain is fogged up with unworthiness. We can't see straight. So the first thing we have to do is understand unworthiness is fueling it, not real love. That's a hard lesson. Oh, man. Yes. Need, not love. I tell so many couples, you need her. I don't know whether you love her yet. And they're like, yes, I do. I, like, when, when, someone, when someone is feeling that in a relationship, they need to feel worthy by this person or they need to feel worthy in a relationship in general. Right. Or what does that look like? Well, there's love. Because I know, I know my pattern of yeah. stuff of, in previous relationships of uh, feeling the need for someone to love me and Absolutely. accept me for we who I was. We all have this need. That's why we get into relationships. Right. That's why we become parents. And we don't want to acknowledge that it's coming from an inner hole, H-O-L-E, a void. We don't want to own this about us, right? We're like, no, I love my child unconditionally. That's why I want him to, you know, play soccer and ski. Do what I wanted to do. do all the things that, oh, it just happens to be all the things I want. Oh, this is why I'm in the relationship. And the way we know that it's need and attachment and not love and unconditionality is how much we want to control them. 
how much we want to possess them. Ooh. It's attached. All that smells of need and attachment. Because true transcendent love, true intimacy, very hard to achieve. Because it requires two whole people. Trusting fully. and Who are in their own sovereignty. Yes, yes. Who don't need. Very rare. That kind of achievement, that kind of aspiration cannot occur unless you do the work. Uh. And you heal. So most of us who haven't healed are in need and attachment, control-based relationships. Sorry, I'm sorry. How I'm many, sorry to everybody. How many people are in control-based relationships? Almost every relationship really? I know, yes. What and the, every what parenting the, relationship I know is, is in control, need, and attachment, and possession. What does it look like for most people? What's the common ways of control and need and attachment okay, in an intimate relationship? Okay, constant repetition of drama where the cycle just can't break. Yeah. Um, you know, not a mutual honoring of each one's absolute freedom. The boundaries or freedoms or... Yeah, and and honoring each other and true articulation of one's Mm. needs. Who knows how to articulate their needs? Nobody. And allow the other to be heard and seen and to be seen honestly and authentically. That's intimacy. So we think we are in intimate relationships, but we're just in functional, transactional dynamics. What if someone's authentic about their need and their need is, well, I need you to, I don't know, uh, check in with me multiple times throughout the day so I know where you are. Oh, that's and not being authentic. Should I tell you? how? Isn't that an authentic need if someone's... No, the, this is the authentic need. Tell me. Okay. So the person says, I authentically need you to check in with me 10,000 times a day, <laughs> right? Now, here's the thing. That's not an authentic need. Here's the need. I have such low sense of worth and I'm in such a panic I get panic attacks because I have control issues from my past abandonment. Mm. Can you help me in some way by not feeding the need? I don't want you to call me 10,000 times because that'll just feed my monster. But can you help me and be kind with me? Because that's my need. My need is for ultimate supreme safety, but I know I can't have that. The need is from my childhood. That's what I'm talking about. Wow. I'm not saying I need you to give me 10 massages. <laughs> That's not a need. Right. The need is why do I have the need? Really why getting to the core so of it's the not need. About, it's not about communicating the need to the other partner. Everyone's good at doing that. It's about recognizing <laughs> the why is the need, need there. The real need. And, and when you find the root of the need, then, then you, you heal the need. And you release the other person from meeting your need. Gosh. Right? So everyone's good about saying what they need, (laughs) Lewis. I need a Bentley. I need a mansion. Very good at doing that. We have to go to, why are we looking at the other person to fill that need, number one? Where's this need really coming from? Mm -hmm. That's the real need. But won't, I mean, I don't want to generalize this, but won't you hear a lot of women say, well, I need to know I can trust my man that he... He makes me feel safe. He protects me. He that I well. know where he's at. That yeah. he lets me check his phone. That I can know where it, you know where right. he's when he's going somewhere. Or what, who he's seeing. Like doesn't right. isn't that a common theme theme for yes, women? Yes, yes. And what, that's that, what happens when a woman does that? <laughs> when the woman does that, it means she's completely an inner child, believing that she needs those things from a man. She doesn't need that because if she has need. For that, she's going to be dependent on his every move and looking at him like she's a detective and he's under the microscope. And that means she's enslaving herself to him and giving him her power. When we want to control the other, we think we're getting control. We are getting enslavement to the other. Oh, my goodness. 
What is the common uh, the the common fear and insecurity that women have when they're in a relationship and that men have when they're in relationships? Okay, is it safety and protection? Say, can we just say that the way men and women are relating in relationships is based on conventional possession, control, and ownership. Both parties. So it's already messed up. Okay. <laughs> right. Now, within the messed up matrix, uh-huh. you want to ask what are the most common insecurities? Yeah, what's the main insecurity for men in general? Yeah. Is it, I don't know, that they're going to cheat on... Both is possession. Really? Both is control Safety in some here. way. Really? Now... You'll say, but isn't there a real need for the one to find the money and the other to cook the food? Sure. But, you know... What's the core need? What's the root need? Possession is what they're feeling? Control and possession? We've been told that relationships, especially marriage, means that the other one betrothes themselves to you, like gives themselves to you for keeping. Right? <laughs> and you put the ring like, you know... And you're mine. And yeah. I own you. And I own you. And you give the woman a big diamond ring so everyone around can see that she's owned. I've never worn a ring one day of my my life because I have no desire to let the world know I'm owned. So what about women who are like, you know what, I love my partner. I want to be their partner. I want to wear this to show a symbol of my... Sure. Commitment and the, yeah, but then the we would wear it on this. We do it on this finger. We do that finger. It doesn't have to be a diamond. We follow convention mm-hmm. because this is what society says. He didn't give you a diamond ring, or the bigger the ring, the more the love. You know, mm. we know it's and then convention. the comparison. It's like it's not. Yes. Oh, you can have many. Sally gave got a bigger ring, so maybe his. There are many husband. symbols of love. It's funny that we all have the same symbol, right? So mm-hmm. it's not creative anymore. It's not spontaneous. Every relationship should have its own symbol. How can we all want the diamond ring as the symbol, right? Yeah. <laughs> because it's convention. We're conditioned. Mm. We have to own how we've been conditioned for these things. The diamond industry. Is so happy it's with super us, happy, right? Yeah. That like, yeah, we really told them that these little pebbles mean something, and they all bought into it, and they all make their partners buy them. And if they don't buy it, it's a sort of betrayal. The industry is making whopping profit over our buying into this. Yeah, being brainwashed. This is just one way we've been brainwashed. We've been brainwashed in every way because it's a consumer society. What What should be Three questions that say someone's starting to date someone. They're six yes, months, three months yes. in, six months in, yes, and things I are love it. moving along. I have the questions. And you want to ask three questions yes. to determine if this relationship has a, the chance yes. of being, um, you know, Gross. powerful, Gross. growth-minded, yes. uh, acceptance, yes. not controlling. What, yes. what would those three questions be? Well, you know, you first want to know how much inner work the person has done. <laughs> You want to talk to that therapist. Mm. You want to see the appointments. You want to know how long they've been doing this. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. You, you'll get a sense of their consciousness quotient. Okay, yeah, that yeah. is number one. Yes. You have to see how integrated is this person from their childhood to their adulthood. Have they worked on their wounds? Here's the challenge. Everyone shows the best version of themselves in the first year. It's such a force. And they act like they've done this in general, right? <laughs> right. So how do you truly know when right. everyone's on their best behavior? So you don't move in? Oh, don't move in? You want to hang out with that guy or that girl? <laughs> Go ahead, yeah. Did it with the, you know, you it's don't like, get so excited in that first year. You know that mm. each one is trying to present the false self. So don't you know that? So right. don't give in for the first year. You know oh, it right, takes right. time. <laughs> so you can't be jumping to the altar right away, right? Yeah. So 
Number one is what is the consciousness quotient? Mm-hmm. And then I would, you know, I'm a little unconventional, so I will not find anyone probably, but it's <laughs> because they'll fail my questions. So I would ask them about their beliefs about, you know, all the stereotypical institutions. And I have done so much work deconstructing cultural lies that I want to be with someone who has deconstructed the bullshit. So I think otherwise you're fighting against values, beliefs, yes. ideas. Then it, then it becomes a schism of basic values, you know. And the more work we do, you know, the more I, you know, you deconstruct what the bullshit is. You can't be with someone who's you're, bought into the bullshit. You're you know? distancing more and more Correct. your beliefs. So I think consciousness quotient, which is healing from childhood and then the cultural BS radar, you know, how yep. good is their BS radar? And then the last thing would be, you know, just how present they are. Are they worthy of their own love? Are they whole? You know, that's all connected to the first two, but it then shows up in that person because they're present, they're, they're radiant, they're joyous, they're liberated. You know, you can see liberated people because yeah. they don't need anything from you Right. because they're whole. They're not expecting anything. Not, they don't need they don't something to you. feel good. They don't judge they you. They are good. And they're bursting with that. Yeah. So you feel it. That's true chemistry, right? You want to be attracted to the essence of the person, <clears throat> not to their sports car or their, their bank know, account or the way they look. Right, because or... that's going to end. That's transient. Consciousness lasts. You're living with the person's consciousness. You're living with the person's inner demons. Because after the first two years, when the cars <laughs> are old, you've more, been in war, yeah. and you've done that. Now, you travel the world, you've done, yeah. Now you're living with the inner child. Do you like the inner child? That's yeah. what we go like, whoa. And your inner child comes out. So does your inner child know how to play with their inner child? <laughs> and that's when you say the bubble bursts. But it's no one's fault. It's because we both presented with the bubble. So now we're in a... Don't fall in love until two years are up. Then fall in love. What if people I are know. like, this is amazing, this is it's exciting. It's not amazing, oh, it's, it's the illusion. Oh. Wait, I used to have a client who used to get so upset with me. She was like, before you burst my bubble, she always knew I'm going to burst her bubble. Because this is what the ego does. It presents the best self. You think you're falling in love. Even the idea of falling in love, that's, you don't want to fall. You should right. not be falling. Right, right. You should Rise. be standing. Rise. You should Stay. be standing yeah, yeah. solid. Yeah, exactly. So the fact that we fall is because we are falling for the illusion. Mm. You know, and then we're upset in two years that another relationship didn't work out. Jeez. Because it was the the false self, the survivor, Ooh. who was holding on. And after some time, the survivor stops, right? The ego breaks down, and now you see each other's raw self behind the prison wall, and you're like both convicts looking for the other to rescue them. I call them twin beggars. Give me, give me, give me, give me. You're and not you're giving like, me enough. Or, yeah. It's never going to be enough. Wow. Because we were beggars all along. We needed to only dare to enter a relationship after we've been full. Very hard to do, I know. So let are going to beg 20, away. How does a 23-year-old she doesn't. get full after? She goes through the, the, the pain and the pain, like we all have gone through, heartache after heartache, blaming the other, mm-hmm. crying to our girlfriends. He didn't do this. She didn't she do that. Didn't. And then the, everyone commiserates and go, "Yeah, he was really he was terrible. horrible. He was horrible. Leave him. What a what a what a terrible a bad man. man. Yeah, a bad girl. Right, we're bad, good, good, bad. You know, we don't realize it's just inner child to inner child, trauma to trauma, beggar to beggar. What happens when two people who have truly 
healed their traumas. I mean, done the years of work. Yeah. They're not expecting. They're yeah. not holding grudges. They're yeah. not resentful. They're not needing something. Yeah. What happens when those two type of people get together? I th- I think there's such a thing as a beautiful intimacy. You know, I talk about intimacy where you truly can see the other person, but as their own being, mm. and you don't need anything from them. You don't need them to be a certain way, and they know, and you know that it's a journey. So we walk together for some sunsets and maybe mm. others we don't. And each is okay with that. We'll be sad if the other one walks away, but not devastated or broken. See, we sometimes think to be broken is to have really loved if they left. Similarly, when our kids go off to school or college, if we don't cry, that means I didn't really love my kid. Mm. We have this weird romance around crying a lot or pain or brokenness. That means we really loved. No, love is freedom. So we need to be happy for the other person when they go to their other lover. That's big. That's big, right? But if you truly loved that other person, then how is it about you? Mm. It's what that what makes that person happy. Very hard because culture has raised us with possession and monogamy as the main goal. So anyone who deviates from that is a freaking cheater and we know what we call cheaters you know Mm. (laughs) yeah it's interesting i'm just listening to and thinking about my my life and my journey and i've and i've always i'm no way am i a perfect human being but i've always wanted the best when relationships didn't work out and a lot of them didn't work out well like there was arguing and frustration on both sides me included but then i was like okay we're not working out and I've always wanted them, I like. I hope they find someone that's a better fit for them. I've never felt like the girls ever want me to be happy afterwards. Like, he needs to go down. He did this to me. He ruined yes. my life. He did, yeah, it's like, yes. I've never felt like ever anyone ever wanted the best for me. And it's, But you can't blame us because we've been conditioned that when a relationship ends, it means the others to blame and there's been a betrayal. It's their fault. Right, and betrayal. Yeah. You know, we fully bought into this idea of betrayal. And I don't believe in betrayal. I believe we only betray ourselves. Ooh. You know. What does that mean? What does that mean? It means that when we enter a relationship without understanding that we are going to be with the other person's inner child. Yes. We betray ourselves. We, th- we want daddy or we want Prince Charming or we want Mr. Perfect or Miss Perfect. You can be in a same sex relationship. And we put on the other the expectation that they will be there for us in the way we need. They'll be our savior, our hero, our our knight, or whatever. Of course, we all want that. That's lovely. But that was the job of mommy, not another human being. Our parents are supposed to be there to help us grow. they could barely do it. Right. (laughs) So how is this person going to do it? But we put on them this unconscious expectation and burden. When they don't fulfill it, instead of wishing them well and going, I get it. I'm an inner child too. I must have been really hard for you to deal with. Or we're both misaligned. You know, our inner children were just fighting in the sandbox. I own my part. Thank you for showing me yours. It's not aligned. I get it. Yeah, we had a season you know? of life. And we yes. learned something, hopefully, yes. and we move and, on. And, you know, and say the guy cheated or the girl cheated. We look at the cheating not as a personal betrayal, but as it's a message. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. 
Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation. Yeah, okay. We're not so, he wasn't supposed to be with me that night. He felt like he needed to be somewhere else. He's following his soul. Mm-hmm. But she's like, oh, but he lied to me. Of course he lied to you because he knew you'd react like this. And now look, you're not broken up, right? right? Right. No one ever says, where were you last night, honey? You can tell me and mean it, right? Every guy knows <laughs> where you are. They don't mean it. Right. The woman will kill you. We are raised in a conventional idea around man and woman. It's changing now, you know, mm-hmm. with all the gender fluidity and uh, all the... Uh, ownership of, uh, of, of rights for all kinds of mm-hmm. uh, affiliations. We're changing the paradigm, but still at the core is this paradigm that there's an ownership between the two, and that is the dysfunction. It's toxic. We all want to own everybody. We all wish that the world was our puppet. Of course. Why do it's we a, have that? Because it's a childish desire to have control. You know, I, I want you to say exactly what I want because then I'll feel competent and in control. Really? Yeah. And what does control, what does needing control mean? We need to feel safe. Yes, we need yes. to feel protected. Child, child stuff. Just get, I want to be secure. Mommy's going to come in at every, you know, hour right. to check in on me. I want predictability. So the greater the kid or teenager didn't have predictability, <laughs> they are going to go reactive. Either they're going yeah. to, to silence that through an addiction or mm. they're going to go into mass control, either through Man. mass achievement or mass obsession of the other person. I feel like I've done all those things yeah, in my you've done past. Mass Everything. Mass control, mass, mass possession. Manipulation, sure. anger, resentment, don't do this, control all these things. Because especially in your 20s. You wanted to make sure you would not be that helpless little boy Absolutely. who didn't have predictability, but you didn't know you were doing it because of I that. I had no idea. It was so yeah, unconscious. Nobody, yes. Nobody knows. So unconscious for so many years. Nobody it wasn't knows. until I was 30 when I started to really realize, oh the a lot of the trauma I haven't even talked about yeah. because I've been so shameful of. Yeah. And just the process of talking about it allowed me to heal an element of yes. certain things, but not everything. Yes. We have to talk to a trusted yes. confidant or a, or a therapist. You must talk because talking allows you to hear your own narrative. And then somebody or you can both go, oh, my God, I said the same thing as my mother. Oh, my goodness. At seven, I felt this. At 11, I felt this. You have to narrate your life. That's why it's called a narrative, because mm. you have to create a consistent narrative to integrate your life experiences. So people poo-poo therapy, perhaps, or think they don't have the time. Well, you I know. I think it's some of the greatest time you can spend for yourself, yes. for your inner peace, for awareness, for greater levels of love for yourself and compassion for others. Yeah. I don't think I'd be a as compassionate, understanding, and again, I'm not always compassionate and understanding, but I don't think I would be, have the levels of intimacy and connection and love to myself or others without on and off therapy, coaching, workshops, emotional intelligence, training, like all of it. And I think it's so important for so many people. Are you still practicing? Yes, You're yes. Still seeing? I see people really? on Zoom. I have a full practice. I have a coaching institute where I train people to become coaches, mm. and they're going out into the world. Wow. So for me, self-growth and self-help is the cornerstone of my living and my being. What happens when people say, you know what, I'm not into therapy or self-growth or developing myself or looking at my pain. I'm just, 
I don't need to do that stuff. My life is good. Things are fine. I'm succeeding. I'm winning. My relationship is good. What tends to happen in general to people like that? Well, you rec- you as a coach or a partner recognize that they are in resistance mm. because nobody's life is so good until they've done a lot of work, mm-hmm. right? But you can tell when people are not ready and you can break your head waiting for them. You can show them pattern after pattern. I now in my 40s have gracefully learned to identify these people and release them from any expectation. You know, everyone has their own level of awareness. I call it, where are they on the continuum of consciousness? So just because you change, don't expect you going home and your partner changes. It's not going to happen. It's, n- it's so, not by osmosis. So how does this, I mean, there's a lot of married couples in the world that have two, three kids. They've been married 10, 15 years. And you'll see it where the woman, it tends to typically be the woman, I feel like, is starting to grow and evolve, yes. right? Emotionally, being more yes. emotionally conscious. And I'm generalizing this where the man is more resistant. Mm-hmm. Again, generalization. What should the woman do there? If the man is maybe 20% behind and then 40% behind, like, and but she loves him, she yeah. wants to keep it together, I she know. wants to be married to this person, does she just accept the behavior and live with it yeah. and do the best she can mm-hmm. and find her relationships elsewhere? Mm-hmm. And how does a woman in that position, where it's not horrible? Yeah, it's at 80%, it's, 70%. It's, yeah, it's, maybe it's like uh, half the time he's conscious, right. half the time he's right. not. What does a woman do there? Yeah, it's really hard. You know, I can tell you the second or third question in every seminar I do is what do I do? My partner is not doing the work. It is the second to third question, if not the first. Yes. So women, you're right, take the lead because we are already tuning in. Mm -hmm. We get our menstrual cycle. We are connected to our bodies. We're breastfeeding our children. We're raising. We're in the world of emotional connectivity Mm -hmm. anyway. We are the connectors. You're communicating with other women about challenges, shame, hurt. Right. Whereas men typically tend to not say those things. You're in the outside world achieving, Mm -hmm. you know, and you've made it a mechanistic, hierarchical, dogmatic world. We're in the world of feelings and raising children and they keep us close to our heart. Mm. So now the woman is growing and it's not terrible. Then she has to kind of compromise. Yeah, she fills her bucket through other means. This is most women are doing really? this. Yeah, she's just decided, okay, he is what he is. He's good enough. She's good. It could be a same-sex relationship. The partner is good enough. So if you're w- willing to be with good enough, good enough is good enough. Then if it's really abusive... That's when she's in a pickle. Yeah. And that's where she needs her sisters to support her and be there for shelter and protection and other men. And then when it's, when it's you know, if, if, if the other person is just not growing, right? So one is abuse that's, that's direct. Yeah. You get to know what to do. Mm-hmm. One is 50-50, that's hard. But if the other person is just not changing, then the woman has to make a pivotal decision. How important is growth and consciousness for me. Mm. And then she has to follow her own governance and her lead. And that's really hard for women to do. But she needs to honor growth. Relationships should be growth-inducing, growth-fulfilling, growth-focused, growth-destined. If if both are not working on growth, then you can be good friends. Right. (laughs) Right? See them once a month. And certainly if they're taking away from you, if they're constricting you, you know, in our 40s and 50s, we realize we don't need that anymore. We are worthy. You're like, I don't, I don't need this. Yeah, I don't need this. But, you know, 
till then we do right. and we've already had five children and you know a lifetime with this person but right. it's okay to say now i'm ready for the next chapter of my life to be brave to say it's okay i can i can do this mm-hmm. change is not easy because it brings such a fear of rejection and abandonment but we we yeah. it's okay it's okay seasons change the tide changes the moon and the sun go yeah. up and down it rises and people falls people come and go people, people are born people die yeah we were young ones we're older so ch- change is inevitable as we know right mm-hmm. nothing is permanent neither should our relationships be what are the three things or what are the three reasons that you would say most relationships fail what three things they're not growth minded or Right, they haven't really shown that. So not growth focused. So mm-hmm. both don't enter the relationship with a pledge that I'm not committing to you. I'm committing to growth. Oh, right. That's interesting. What, that's what the ring exchange ceremony should be. Really? Yeah, I am. I am committing t- that you grow, and I'm going to help your growth. And the minute I don't help your growth, you can give me back this ring. Right now, wouldn't that be beautiful? That'd that's be... freedom. Yeah, right? not. You can not grow for the rest of your life, and I have to be with you forever. Right, sickness and <laughs> till death do us part. Right. right, it's death of the ego. You can abuse me. You can be, right? emotionally abuse me, physically but I'm abuse me, stay with and you. I'm gonna stay. Yeah, it should be till death of the ego, and if then we want to stay, great. Right, oh, that the ego is going to die. Yeah. So it should be growth focused, and then um, I think both need to sh- do their own inner healing and show up as their true self. And also, and, and the last thing I think the reason why relationships fail is because we are looking for mommy and daddy. Oh man, what happens when we look for mom or dad? Well, it's not if we look; we are looking for mom <laughs> and dad. Uh, we place a great burden on the other person to fulfill that role. And and your partner is not your mom or your dad; they're your partner. And they're just a fallible, bumbling human, <laughs> human being, being with their own demons. So they're not psychic, they're not dad, and they're not your mom. You know how many times mm-hmm. in my relationships I've said, I'm not the mother, I am not the mother, you know? But we women want to be the mother, so that's our little trap. And want to be the mom to the, the partner? Yes, and that's the worst thing we can Why do. Why do women want to do that? Because we're, we have a savior mentality, and we're like, it's our nature to nurture. So we want to save everyone. It is the most damaging thing we can do to our partners because we don't let the males in our life grow. Because we are like, we want to be everyone's mother. That's our issue. That's our sickness. Mm. We want to please and nurture and save. You know, we want to be the mother in the ego, but that's the most dysfunctional but thing then for the, us and them. But then the romance is, but I want to have a rescuer, someone who saves exactly. me. Exactly. So then the woman wants to have daddy and the savior. And, and we're talking stereotypical relationships, yes. okay? It also applies for same gender. Of course. Really? Yeah, same in different ways. Same thing. I think in different ways. We huh. put expectations that the other can heal us and fix us and make it all okay. Because or, inside we're all five-year-olds. So when the person who's being treated as mom and dad realizes that they're being put in the mom or dad role, that takes a lot of courage because you don't want to hurt the other person, but you got to say, like I said many times, I think... You think I'm some long-lost dad or long-lost mom, and it's hurting our relationship. So let's go to therapy right now right. because we've got to break this. I am not who you think I am. And you know, projection is so powerful. They don't see you. 
they see the other. In so many moments of my life, I used to move because I was like, see, you're not even looking at me. You're seeing your mother or your father. Or you're what you want me, me to be or yeah, something. Yeah, I could tell. You know, I could, you're not seeing me. It's a projection. So at first, I liked the projection because I was in my false self and I wanted to be the rescuer. And you were... I was it, happy. You then were you worthy were, of helping someone. Yes, or you could, and you thought... And I was... You know, the other person plays that role too. Mm-hmm. I'll rescue. Mm-hmm. I'll be a people pleaser, right? You were a people pleaser. My whole life. So now you're happy that somebody's treating you like daddy or mommy. Yeah. You're like, I want to be a people pleaser. Right. Then you begin to realize after two years that we are both <laughs> playing these roles. Yeah. I'm faking it by pretending I can rescue you. And you're faking it as if you're in love with me. You want daddy or mommy. Right? But, but both people don't even know they're faking it. I know. This has been my life for a long so time. So then you enter the fight. And the fight is the same fight. What happened? So okay. after fight number 200. You did this. No, you did this. And, and no one's hearing each other, by the way. Oh, my gosh. No one. So after fight number 232... You gotta have some therapy. You're like, okay, the we're the same cycle. Say, We've tried this. We tried that. Nothing's working. Then you gotta take yourself for some professional care because mm-hmm. you are enacting some serious old wounds that are eating you up. You have to treat it as a physical illness. You know, I think it's fascinating from an athlete's point of view. I know that in order to be a great athlete or to excel at some sport. You go to a coach. I need a coach. Yes. You can't do it on your own. Yes. There's not any world champion that's like, no one ever coached me. I did this all on my own for 20 years to get here. I had no help, no mentor. You had a team. Team and a coach. I don't understand. Why we don't do it for- In relationships. Because we we have great shame and stereotypes against airing our dirty laundry. This is the total ridiculous lunacy. Where you need it the most you don't get professional help. What about parents? There's no training. There's no, no they exam. They don't teach you how to be in a relationship. Right. Just the model of what didn't work. What didn't work. So parents don't have any license, certificate, passing grade. Couples don't have any help. And you need help. So in spiritual traditions, they do talk about needing really? a teacher. Right? Every Eastern spiritual tradition has the guru. And now the guru has been blasphemized. So let's not talk about the mm-hmm. guru. But has the teacher, meaning you need somebody to teach you this, who's older and wiser, and same for relationships. We should have, you have to go to a therapist. There's no doubt about it. Every relationship should be in therapy, whether you are at the brink of the end or trying to get better. I always think it'd be interesting for people to start a relationship in therapy. Absolutely, they should. And say, let's... Okay, we're to start dating and be yes. exclusive, whatever yes. it looks like. Let's get into therapy now, six yes. months in, three because months in. Because it's coming. The inner child is coming. In two years, it's going to happen. Right. We might as well Let's, go here now and get through it. And let the therapist tell you if you can even manage. And save us some time. Yes, save you a lot of effort and heartache. And I feel like you'll respect each other more if you get into it sooner, saying we're both right. looking to grow. Right. No one's resistant. Yes. We're both here, that revealing, is open. Amazing. I'm messed up. You're probably messed up. I like your messed up. Let's, let's go to yeah. Let's go to therapy. No harm, no shame. Why? But people will get all upset because Why? they're in their ego. They're like, I don't have any problems. Oh my god! Right? That was probably me my whole life. It was about <laughs> eight years ago, so I can understand. Right. But what do most people gain when they have a coach or a therapist in their relationships? What is the thing they get out of that the most? Oh my god! They gain awareness Mm -hmm. of their pattern and they get to see how it's happening in real time. I show my people, boom, there it was. 
two hours before you said this, here's your pattern again. So they can catch the dysfunction mm. and disrupt the patterns in real time. So they save themselves a lot of, <laughs> lot of years of bull****, you know? How do we learn to embrace the truth about ourselves, even if we're scared? Yeah. Whether it be a pain or shame or whatever, how do we learn to actually embrace it? Because that's what your book's a lot because about. Because we have to have greater fear for what will happen if we don't. Right. It will eat us up and break us down. And this is why the involuntary is probably the, the easiest way. It's when you hit rock bottom or when something tragic happens or a near-death experience or a mm -hmm. divorce or breakup mm -hmm. or bankruptcy. Mm -hmm. When that happens, it forces you to look at the pain. Yes. Right? You have no choice. You have no time. choice anymore. Yes, thank goodness. I don't yes. hope that on anyone. I hope we can all like be consciously aware and mm -hmm. voluntarily mm -hmm. go into the growth. But unfortunately, for probably, I don't know, 90 plus percent of us, we've got to go through something. But I will tell you, you know, once you commit to this path and break free from the cultural lies and the tethers of the institutions and people and what people will say and, and, and living for others, you do reach a place of great lightness of being. You know, I never thought I would experience this lightness. Really? I, yeah. What do you mean by lightness? Like freeness, light energy? Yeah, because finally when your worth is not tied to anyone else's opinion and it's all your own, mm. you own every day. Your child doesn't define you. The mirror doesn't define you. The interview doesn't define you. The ratings doesn't define you. Sure, we'd all like it all to work in our favor, but it doesn't define you. You reach a place of healthy distance and space, mm -hmm. and you begin to flourish. Like, you feed yourself, and that's a beautiful feeling. What should define us? Should. What should define us <laughs> is the awareness that we are only interconnected beings. There is no permanence. This is all an illusion. If we can keep, this is what I keep in my mind. It's all cause and effect. Whatever I'm seeing right now is through eons of cause and effect. We're interconnected. So there's a we are, like what matters to me matters to you. If I hurt you, I hurt me. Mm. And everything is impermanent. You know, there's only the present. So these are the things I live by. And that's my, that's what yeah. I chase. Yeah. You know? What do you think is going to be the next breakdown in your life, whether it be five years, 10 years, 20 years, where you have a new awakening? What's that thing, the next level of ego death that you think you'll need to go through? Yeah. Um, that you haven't yet. Yeah, I think, you know, the physical death of say, you know, a really close, like I only have a few, but. You haven't experienced that yet. I haven't experienced that. So I can't claim to say I'm gonna be fine and mm. I'm not gonna go through some other epiphanic shock. But in terms of the material world, the physical world as I see it right now, in terms of house, relationships, money, I think those I have, I have released. you released. I don't identify with those. What was, the, what was the thing you held on to the longest? The idea of being the perfect girl and really? keeping my family together, you know. I, I couldn't let that go. Really? It was very hard. How, when did you, how many years did you stay in that space when you knew like you needed to let it go? but you kept holding on to it. Yeah, I would say I, I, I used to convince myself 
and it was so worth it and it was so important to me that I didn't even know I was resisting or fighting a conflict. But the last two years was when I... You like knew, but you were holding on and... Uh, it was so painful to let go mm. of what you've been so attached to, you know, and to, to release it and to say that it was for that moment and it was perfect and no regret and no blame. Come to wholeness, right, right. you know? Yeah. yeah. It was very powerful. Is attachment one of the roots of suffering and pain yes. or is it something else around suffering? Well, why do we attach, right? So we have to understand what attachment means. Attachment means that we are believing we are that. Give me an example. I am the wife. I am the mother. I am the achiever. I am the role. That identity. The identity. And in essence, we are interconnected, cause and effect. There is no solid I. So the I am doesn't exist. It's a we are. Mm-hmm. And the I am only exists in the, you know, in the energetic, not yeah. in the ego. So when we attach to something that is outside of us, we are now going to suffer because that is not going to last. Nothing lasts. Everything dies. So fame comes and goes. Beauty comes and goes. Youth comes and goes. Achievement. So you have now claimed that as you, and you don't know who you are without that. Mm. So that's why you will suffer, you know. So when you drop that and you discover who you are, something more cosmic, more spacious, more liberated, now you don't need these things. To you know? feel worthy or enough or... Significant. Interesting. Or, yeah. Do you think uh, we're more driven by significance or safety? Mm. Like, do we want to be more significant mm. and acknowledged? Yeah. Or is it, do we just want to feel safe? Yeah. Or do they, the significance bring us more safety? Yeah. No, I think, you know, it's like Maslow's hierarchy yeah. of needs. Safety, trust is the primal core foundation. And when we didn't get that as children, we're shattered. If we're looking for safety, we're in trouble. Really? Yeah, because we're not going to find safety anywhere. Where do we find it? It's not, it doesn't exist. It was only to be found in that primal bond with the, with the earliest caregiver mm-hmm. as an infant. As mm. an adult, it's an eternally unpredictable, unsafe world. Therefore, when you don't have that primal need met, the world is forever threatening to you. And everyone's an enemy. Every moment is a disaster. Really? You know those people like that? That's probably me for a long time in my life. but Because you were in, in disaster preparedness yeah. mode your whole life. Yeah, I left home when I was 13. Yeah. Because I didn't feel safe. I didn't feel yeah. safe. I mean, I know my parents loved me, and I know they sure. were there for me. And but you couldn't count on them. It was just, you didn't know when there was an argument was going to break yes. out or a yes. fight or yes. a, an unsafe yes. feeling. Yes. And I was the youngest of four. My siblings were off, and, you know, they were crazy in their own way. They've all evolved and transcended that, but I was like, get me out of here. Yeah. Like, subconsciously, sure. I begged them to send me away at 13. Yeah. Usually, mm-hmm. kids are sent away mm-hmm. for being bad or mm-hmm. whatever. And I was like, no, please send me away. Not you because knew. of, I didn't say because I wasn't safe. Right. But I was just like, uh, you I knew. Wanna, That's I a knew. sign. When a kid wants to bolt too early, we know mm. that the home is not mm. conducive. And it knows. The kid knows. So significance mm. is a higher order need. You know, after your needs for safety and trust are met, now you can go up the ladder and you're like, oh, now I can achieve. Now yeah. I can, you know. But first the infant has to walk. 
Right, right. You no, know, that's safety, that's trust. Yeah, I wanted safety, and then I was driven to succeed in yeah. significance for so many years. Right, to, to cope with never being helpless ever Never again being seen life. or never being helpful yeah. or never feeling worthy or enough or whatever it was. And You went and then, looking for significance. And when I yeah. got it, I still didn't feel enough. No, you never will. For years. Because if the bottom is unsafe, right. this is empty. So if... If someone is listening or watching right now has realized they're having the awakening, oh, I never felt safe and I still don't feel safe and I'm driven by significance yes. to feel seen or loved or whatever I need, what should be the steps they take to create safety in their life and not need to feel significant by accomplishments? Yeah, imagine if that person comes to that point to go, oh my goodness, I've been ruled by my need to be safe and significant. Listen, this is a powerhouse moment. This is an epiphany, yeah. right? Like you had. Yes. Now they have to take themselves straight to a therapist or a coach. <laughs> is there any other way besides no, therapy? No, sorry. Because you have to uncover the patterns. Mm. Now, meditation is huge. You know, I've been meditating since I was 21. It is huge. Meditation gave me wisdom to understand the cravings of the ego. Right. So it was a, that's why I teach East meets West psychology and spirituality because both together was beautiful in my life yeah but i needed both you needed meditation and endless and coaching or therapy work, yes. yeah okay so that's the next step don't try to trust yourself and figure it out allow someone to support you and coach you through it yes yeah. just like an athlete would to become his best self or her it's best true. self yes that's true yes. we wouldn't just go and say i want to win the world series and do it on our own we wouldn't write a book without an editor that's true what would we do? We wouldn't learn the piano without a teacher, yeah. right? We wouldn't go to school without teachers. So why, in, when it comes to inner work, we don't do it? Because the very thing that blocks us from doing inner work is the very thing that blocks us from thinking we need to do inner work to go and get help, right? <laughs> it's, it's, it's the ego right. that I'm perfect. Everyone thinks they're perfect, yet everyone I have met has been broken in such a significant way, mm -hmm. Louis. Not just like a little bit broken, like <laughs> shards. <laughs> lambasted, torn apart, bomb blast in their childhood. I've rarely met individuals who were raised by conscious parents. I can maybe say a few. You wrote the book on conscious parenting. Do you feel like you were a conscious parent to your child? No, I was not. I was not. I really wasn't. And, you know, but I, I'm trying not to have shame or guilt about it, but mm -hmm. I really... Me, made quote-unquote grave errors in terms of my own ego's needs for control and possession. I caught on pretty fast by the time she was three mm -hmm. about what I was doing and since then have been course correcting Got it. Yeah. and teaching others. And the reason I could correct it fast is because I've been on this path. I'd been meditating and I still messed up mm -hmm. because no one yeah. prepared me for how that Parental ego looks. I knew the ego in relationships. I knew the ego around food, around looks. I didn't know the ego around the parents. So now I've helped other parents to discover their parental ego. So hopefully I've helped other parents not do what I did. <laughs> right. right? Even, even when you're researching this, teaching this, coaching others, it's still challenging for us to follow through on certain things. Yeah. And we and all you've need never this. I've never, never, done never met this child before. Do you have your own coach? I have in, in you know intermittently yeah, relied yeah. on coaches, but I take a lot of courses. Yeah. I'm always doing my work oh. <laughs> every day. I don't let myself go. Yeah. I'm on myself. What does the work look like for you? 
What's a non-negotiable on a daily basis? Like in just in terms of my life. For your life, yeah. yeah. Whether it be your... Non-negotiable now for me is ultimate alignment with my inner voice. So I don't say yes to things that are not aligned. I don't go for lunch. I don't eat things that are not aligned. Really? I, I refi- I'm become pretty... When did you learn how to do that? Over the last, you know, my radical awakening. My well, last, the last couple of years. Last, yeah. It's, I was inching forward and now yeah. I've just stepped into it. Like recently I just told someone, do not show me this person's photograph because it triggers a past issue with this person. Mm-hmm. I don't even want to see a photograph. So taking my self-care and my alignment in a really adult way mm-hmm. and cleaning up my, my life so it really matches with who I authentically am and I'm not serving anyone else's ego. Wow. You know, I will not talk to people. I will not have someone on a chat if I, I'm not aligned. Everyone in my life is intentionally placed now and intentionally kept. I'm glad you still replied to my text. That's I, good. You're, you're still <laughs> hanging on. I'm, I'm hanging on by a thread. Um, okay, so you've gotten very clear to say yes and no to things that you either want to say yes to or not, but not doing them out of the need to please or because you don't want to hurt someone. That's an incredible gift. That's a skill that... Most people I don't think have mastered. Right. It can only come after arduous self-knowledge. Yeah. You have to know who you are. So I've spent a lot of time figuring out who am I? You know, wh- why am I here? What makes me the most joyous being in this one body that I got this time? Who knows if I'm going to come back again? Mm-hmm. Now I'm here. How am I going to make this life the most liberated, abundant, buoyant life? It's up to me. I got to create it. I got to curate it. I got Mm. to plant the right seeds. So it's very intentional now. But I say no a lot, which I never used to do. Really? You say yes to everyone? I used to say yes. I used to say, I'm so sorry I can't say yes if I couldn't say yes, you know? Now I just ignore or I let it go. It has nothing to do with me. And what happens if someone's mad or hurt or frustrated or emails you back? I thought you were going to say, yeah, how could you do this to me? What do you do then? Right. So, you know, when it's a stranger, you know it's projection. Yes. And when it's a deeply held relationship, I will clean it up. I'll uh-huh. never do that to you. Right. Or to somebody who I honor. Then right, I'm right. in a relationship. Yeah. But if I'm not in a relationship, I've learned to let it go. It's, you know, they can project whatever they want. Like on social uh, media, how many yeah. people project? They can All have a day. party. It's okay. <laughs> they have a right. People have a right to project. Mm -hmm. You know, when I was young, I didn't like when people projected. I thought they didn't have a right. Now I realize, oh, you can have your inner child and your inner child can dump all its crap on me. What am I going to do with it is the question. What do you do with it now when someone's dumping on you or yelling at you or angry or disappointed? How could you, Dr. Shafali? Right. If if there's no inroad to their consciousness, you got to walk away. you got to disengage. Right, But in the past, I used to get upset that they used to dump. Now I say, oh, here's another dump. Now I got, I finally in my last decade understood, of course they're going to dump because they're an inner child. I used to protest that. I used to resist it. I used to get angry with it. How can you be an inner child? Now I've (laughs) accepted, how can they not be an inner child? Mm. Now I see it everywhere and I'm very accepting. But I get to decide if I stay, if I accept, or I leave. Yeah, a coach told me once, like, when someone's throwing their anger projections onto you, they're trying to give you a, a gift of trash. Mm-hmm. And you can either receive and take the gift yes. or say, eh, no thanks. Yeah, it's like, your choice. Or just pass it along. Or, right. But like, don't, don't be upset with it. them that they're uh, trashing on you. 
They yeah. have a right. You can walk away. Right. But that feels horrible, especially for women, because we've been trained to be trash receptacles, the garbage bin. Please give me fun. your trash. <laughs> right now, I empower women to go. Oh, they can give you their trash. Don't blame them. Don't expect them to be different, because we're always begging the other. Please be different. But what if we're like, okay, you know what? Oh, that's not the environment I want. I don't want to be yes. a place where someone dumps trash. Even if I take it or not, I just I don't know. want that environment. After some time, that's why I said, if there's no inroad, you right. gotta walk you gotta away. Walk away. You or gotta you gotta disengage. accept it and say, this is gonna be my life. I can't right. change them. Maybe they'll buy you fancy shoes or cook you some nice food at least. <laughs> right. Something. Right. But you can't. That trash. Can you expect someone to change, or can you change someone else? You can try to become your best self and hope that that will leak onto them and they will absorb your love, your dignity, your esteem. But don't expect it, and don't hold your breath, and allow that person to not change. Do you know how many relationships we've had where we're so upset with the other person because we tried so hard, we did all the right things, and the other person couldn't heal? That's so hard for us because we tried so hard, right? And that's where we're getting into victim consciousness because it's okay. The other person doesn't have to change just because we're stellar, you know? We, we think it's a quid pro quo. I'm amazing. Can you please see I'm amazing and heal? It's not connected. And that's so hard in a relationship to go, I'm doing my best. I can't fill this void. It's beyond my need. I am retiring from this position. You know. Does that mean I'm retiring from the relationship as well? Well, Eventually. yeah, now we have to see, yeah. Mm. I'm, I'm letting go of the role. Right. At least the role. the role. I can't fix you. I'm trying really hard. I adore you. I love you. I see your pain, <clears> but I can't fix you. And when you retire from the role... And if you were mainly that role, you may retire from the relationship mm -hmm. because there's nothing else you were doing except trying to fix. Yeah. It starts differently. Never go with how it starts. It's after the, the ego starts breaking down and the true self comes out, the wounded self comes out, not the authentic self. I think everyone should get the book, A Radical Awakening, Turn Pain into Power, Embrace Your Truth, and Live Free by the great Dr. Shafali. Um, get a few copies for your friends as well. This is really inspiring. And I think a lot of us have never learned how to uh, turn our pain into something more peaceful and powerful. For me, I lived in pain internally most of my life without others really knowing about it. And I was the one suffering until I learned how to turn pain into healing, into mm -hmm. peace. And it's a process. And I'm sure I'm going to have to learn it many more times in other areas of my life, but it's definitely a process. Um, so I want people to get your book. You've got a lot of great lessons, practices, examples, stories to support them in this journey. Because mm -hmm. uh, most people may not want to get a therapist right away. So get this book if you don't yeah. get a therapist right away and go through it. I have a, a couple final questions for you before I ask them. Where can we follow you online or support you in any other way? So they can just go to drshafali.com. I'm doing a course actually on the book so they can do the course with me. Um, and just find me there or on social media. What's your favorite place on social media? I'm Are you on Instagram, more Facebook? Facebook. I think, Facebook? I think I'm old, old, older, <laughs> older generation. Yeah. More on Facebook. So crack. Uh, I just read Cracking the Matrix. When I uh, go check her out on Facebook, and um, a lot of powerful stuff in here. So make sure you guys dive in here. Um, everything in here is really inspiring. Check it out. A uh, couple final questions for you. 
What are you most proud of that most people don't know about you? I don't know whether I'm proud, Louis, but maybe something that people don't know about me is that I'm really like very quiet. <laughs> I know mm. it's like because I chat all the time, but simple and just I like to be in my pajamas and just, you know, chill, relax, very quiet and basic. I'm just like a very basic girl, okay. you know, and I think people think of women like me that we must be, you know, big personalities at home, but we're my daughter completely dominates me. Really? I get dominated, yes, at really? home by my daughter. You're yes. just like, I'm relaxing and I'm she's just, all over the yeah, place. Yeah, very quiet personality at home, yeah. Okay, okay, that's cool. Um, this is a question I think I asked you last time, but I'm curious your response this time. It's called the three truths question I ask everyone at the end. So imagine it's your last day on earth many years away and you've accomplished everything you want to accomplish. Mm -hmm. You've written many more books or you've created the life you want to create. But for whatever reason, you got to take all of your work with you. All of your written work, this interview, all of your content. Right. No one has access to what you've shared in the past. Mm -hmm. But you have a piece of paper and a pen, and you get to leave behind three lessons to the mm -hmm. world. Mm -hmm. Three things you've learned. This is all we would have to remember your information by. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Your message to the world. Mm -hmm. I call it three truths. Nice. What would be your three truths? Wow. I think number one would be wake up to the lies of the matrix and don't sell your soul to culture's lies. Mm -hmm. It's a lie. <laughs> Number two, uh, it's your destiny to be your authentic self and to live free. So claim it. Don't believe that giving it up is a virtue. Ooh, yeah. And I think the third one would be you know, my, why I named my daughter Maya. It's just all of this is an illusion. And it's so insignificant in the cosmic scheme of things. Your ego makes things significant. But, you, you know, the freedom comes when you realize you're not that significant. Mm. You know, you're not. There's freedom in that for me. Yeah. You know. Yeah. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. I want to acknowledge you, Dr. Folly. Um, before I ask the final question, for constantly evolving yourself, for constantly growing, shedding, and creating information for us to awaken ourselves and to heal our pain and to learn how to parent our inner child, all things that no one's ever been taught how to do. A lot of people haven't been taught how to do. So I acknowledge you for showing up. I know this is challenging work. And the fact that you are in service to want to support and help people in their healing journey is such a gift. So I acknowledge you in being Thank that you. gift to so many people. I appreciate you and your friendship. I'm so glad I've made the texting communication still. You haven't cut me out of your life yet. I'm so happy. <laughs> and um, my final question is what's your definition of greatness? Daring to be real and authentic. That's greatness for me. Dr. Yes. Shafali. Appreciate Thank you. you Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate Thank you. it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope you found value. I'm such a big fan of Dr. Shafali. I love who she is a person, her work, her message. Make sure to check out her book and follow her over on social media as well. Tag me and Dr. Shafali over on Instagram. If you share this out with your friends, we'd love to see who is listening and who is sharing. So please tag me. I try to keep in touch with as many people as possible. Text a few friends right now. This link, lewishouse.com slash 1110. Or just copy and paste this link wherever you're listening to this episode on 
Apple, Spotify, and please subscribe over on Apple Podcast to this show. By subscribing and leaving a review, you continue to help us spread the message of greatness to more people. And that's what this is all about, helping impact as many people as we can together. So if you enjoyed this, please, it would mean a lot to me to click that subscribe button on Apple Podcast right now for the School of Greatness. Leave a review with your biggest takeaway from today's episode with Dr. Shafali. And if you want inspirational messages sent to your phone every single week to keep you on track with your goals and on track with your dreams and motivated, then text me the word podcast right now to this number, 614-350-3960. And I want to leave you with this quote from Brittany Bergunder who said, hold yourself back or heal yourself back together. You decide. Ooh, love that quote. And I want to remind you, if no one has told you lately that you are loved, you are worthy, and you matter. I'm so grateful for you. And you know what time it is. It's time to go out there and do something great. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard.